welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. I want to share with you this morning, we, we've started a series last week on the word witnesses, witnesses. The term witnesses, that term is a term that describes one of the primary functions of the people of God from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. We are called to be the faithful witnesses of the acts of God that we have experienced and that we have seen God do. So the term witnesses, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. What? It sounds like the torture chambers. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe we've moved the cry room and it's working. If that's what it is, it's definitely working. All right. And today the story is from John chapter 4, and it centers around Jesus as a witness to the Samaritan woman who came to the well. Someone said, if you think you are too small to make a difference, obviously you've never been in bed with a mosquito. <laughs> True enough. You ever slap yourself in the face? You know, like clutched in the darkness of that thing. But on the other side of the coin, all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. The main point of this whole message today is because people matter to God. They become investments with eternal dividends as we witness to them. You and I will never be able to measure the full impact of our being a faithful witness for God. Sometimes we think in terms of witnessing It is only the Roman road of salvation. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You you know that? The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we sometimes we feel that witnessing is a formula that if someone says yes, well, then we've been successful. What is important as a faithful witness is that we faithfully witness in the way that God has created us to witness. The, here's, I just want to take a little pressure off people. When we think of witnessing, we often think of, as I said, the Roman road, or we think of people that, man, they, just, they have the ability to meet someone for the first time, to sit 
on an airplane next to someone they've never met and witness to them, and they trust in Jesus Christ before the flight is over. How many, how many, it's wonderful. But do you know what the gift surveys show? That only about 10% of the body of Christ operate in that particular gift of evangelism, yet we're all called to be a faithful witness of Jesus. So what that means is that God uses each and every one of us as we are intentional about that. And we're going to look to Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman who comes. In John chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 39 and then 41 and 42. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. So how did Jesus witness to the woman at the well? Well, the backstory is this. Jesus said in John 4, 4, I must go through Samaria. Did anyone ever wonder at that term? Why said I have to go through Samaria? In that day, for the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, there was great enmity between them. The Jewish people were the dominant culture in, in the New Testament, what was known as what was known as Palestine back then. And the Samaritans were the minority culture. There were, they, they had, the Samaritans, the history, how it came about, was that they had been, they're the product of Jewish ancestors who, after King Solomon, uh, they, the kingdom of Israel, which had, involved 12 tribes, and I'll just share a little history lesson with you. I love history uh, backstories. And so w when King Solomon had passed away, the latter part of King Solomon's life, he really started to lay heavy taxes upon the people and, and actually abuse the, the people of God. And when he passed away, his son took the throne, and wise elders from Israel, the nation of Israel, 12 tribes, they came to him and said, look, we will be your faithful subjects, but, but please, please remove some of the harsh, the harsh loads that you have put on, it's suffocating us and suffocating our economy and suffocating everything about us, and, you, and your dad wanted more and more and more and more. And he at first listened to them, but then he called in his buddies. His buddies. And you know, Paul the Apostle said, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And so these young Turks said, to him, why are you listening to those old fogies? 
They're just jealous of you. You're the king. You call the shots. What you need to do is lay it on them really harder than ever so they know who's boss. So sure enough, what do you think he did? He listened to his buddies, the young Turks. And he came back and he said, you think that my father's burden was heavy. His burden is like a finger, but my burden on you will be like my thigh. And when he said that, the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin that, that were, the tribe of Judah was where King David was, and the tribe of Judah would be where the Messiah would come out of. You recall that from the scripture. They, they rebelled and said, we're not following you. And the northern kingdom then was ten tribes, and then you have the southern kingdom of Judah and, and Israel. Well, what happens was that the ten tribes of Israel, the northern tribes, they were more and more influenced by the Gentiles around them who worshipped other gods and false gods. It became a terrible mess. They, it came to the point that they were even... They were even sacrificing their own babies in fire to some of the, the gods. As a result of this, they intermarried with foreign nations, and one of the nations was the Assyrians, who were the mortal enemies of the people of God. In fact, one of the prophecies about the Assyrians was that, that they, they had, uh, there was a king by the name of Sennacherib. How many remember Sennacherib? Everybody remember that? Yeah. How I remember that, it, they were pictured as having the ribs of Israel in their teeth. They were just bad. As a, so what came out of that were the Samaritan people. And the Samaritan people rejected, they rejected the prophets, they rejected David and that the Messiah would come through the Davidic line, all the wisdom literature. All they held to was the first five books of what we, as known as the Pentateuch or the Bible today, the first, called the Pentateuch, that Moses had written. And they claimed Abraham as their father like the Jewish people did, but they went so far as to say, we're, we're not going to Jerusalem and worship. We don't have to go that far. We're going to make our own temple. And they built a temple on Mount Gerizim. And they said, we're going to, we're going to do things our own way. Well, what had happened over the years, because... Uh, the Jewish people were the dominant culture and, and the Samaritans were the minority culture, the, there was ill treatment. And this is what I know. This is what I know. That whenever a dominant culture mistreats a minority culture, there's going to be pushback. How many know that? You just don't do that and think you can get away with it. You might be able to do that, and someone will kiss up to you to your face, but I'm telling you, it is human nature to get back at people who have mocked you or devalued you. How many understand what I'm saying? Just, just briefly, I, I had the privilege when I was first in ministry to work with a brilliant man, brilliant man, whose son would become the general of the Salvation Army for the United States, Israel Gaither. Israel Gaither was an African-American man who grew up in the Deep South. And he, he 
worked his way through college in the depression in the deep south. Now, how many know that was a, that was a, that just did not happen. When he graduated from college, the only work that was available to him, he worked in a, a, a big white man's house. That's what he did. Drove cars, and this man was a prince among men. But he told me, Brother Paul, we, we became very, very, very close with each other. He just, I, I just he was so, I was, he, he, I just loved him, and his heart for God, and I admired him so much, and he, and he just shared things with me. He said, I was part of a servant crew, and he said, the way that we were treated, and what we had to do, and how we had to act, and he said, we always knew who was in charge, and we could be gone at a heartbeat. As a result of that, though, he said, so we did go, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Yes. He said, we did everything we said. We dressed the way they wanted us to. But he said, in the kitchen, he told me some of the things they put in the food. And we'd serve them soup. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and I won't tell you what the ingredients were, but I am telling you, most of you would be running for the bathrooms right now if I told you those things. It was their way of pushing back. And the Samaritans and the enmity that was there. And so when Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria, in verse 4, it was a remarkable statement. Because most Jewish people, when they went to Galilee, rather than going the direct route which was through Samaria... They would go way out of their way, about 20 miles on foot, east of Jerusalem and walk up along the Jordan River and then go to the Galilean region rather than taking the direct route. And so instead of going on 95 to come home to Harford County, you would choose to take a country road somewhere that was far longer not because you wanted to, but because you wanted to avoid certain kinds of people. How many see what I'm saying? Now, in just a few weeks, we have an opportunity to be a faithful witness of God in the inner city of Baltimore at a church that's doing something for God, but they don't have the resources that we have. They're reclaiming people who are lost and wounded and beat up and so they've asked for help. And so that's why we're doing this extreme makeover on May. Uh, it's actually May 16th through the 18th, but we're concentrating on the 18th. But Jesus said, I'm not going to go where everyone else is going. I'm going to go through Samaria. He took a risk. And then he met the woman at the well. And you know the story of the woman at the well. She was a, a person that she had had five husbands. And now she was living with one. It wasn't her husband. It was living with a guy. Everyone in that small town of about 2,000, they all knew her. They knew what she was about. It, it, it was a shameful state that she was living in. And she came at noontime to get water from the well to avoid the women, the itty-bitties from the city that would come out early in the morning to get water. How many of you, you can see that? I'd do the same, wouldn't you? I mean, listen, 
I'm not justifying what she did, but I'm not going to be around people. If I'm a dog and you kick me, I'm not going to go back for more. You understand what I'm saying? So she comes at noontime, and there's Jesus. He's sitting there by the well, and he asked her for a drink of water. And she said, what? She said, you would ask me to give you a drink of water? Now, there's more to this story. She said, I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jewish person. That would never happen. But the other thing that's unspoken, and we see it just a little bit later on when the disciples came back and said, hey, you know, we need to eat, you know, was this. In those biblical days, it's called, and ancient Near East culture, and even into biblical times, it was... A man in public with his wife did not speak to his wife in public. You just didn't. You didn't speak to a woman in public. That's why Jesus' ministry was so powerful. Remember Luke 18 when the woman came with the issue of blood? He reached out, and in Luke you'll see so many of his miracles were centered around women. And so Jesus was speaking with this woman, and so he said, would you give me a drink? And, and she went on, and how would that be? And then he said to her, I'll give you living water. Well, so how did he witness? The first thing is this in your notes. An adventure on God's mission. Jesus saw chance encounters as divine appointments. And do you know that wherever you go, God has people made in his image. And there's an opportunity for you to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? It's an adventure when we give it to the Lord. The second thing is that he was willing to bridge a cultural divide and go out of his way. A few years ago, we went down, we took a team down, we helped uh, Pastor Ed and Gloria de Blasio. Ed is an accountant. She was a school teacher. They planted Solid Rock Redeemer Church, only two blocks from the epicenter of all the riots in, in Baltimore. And uh, boy, that neighborhood. I, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm a suburbs guy. Uh, you can't tell by looking at me, but I'm a suburbs guy. And I'll, I'll, I can't forget that when I went down there, I didn't take our good car, right? And I was looking for a parking spot that would be in view of the church. I didn't want to park it out back. I didn't want to park it in the alley. I know you're all better than me. You're thinking, oh, man, you're really horrible. Not, because you do the same thing. I was concerned about the neighborhood we were in. But what I do know, we, we had a, about 12 of us. We all, there was a number of young people that were there, and it was a marvelous day. But that faithful witness, ultimately there were 75 or 80 people from churches came over that three days. When we came into that neighborhood, and what the neighbors saw, because there's a lot of good people in inner city Baltimore. How many understand that? There's a lot of... A lot of good people. They're just, often they're overrun by these senseless, senseless acts of violence. That's not their hope and their dreams. But Ed, Ed talked with me later and he said, you don't know what that meant to us, but to the neighborhood. And because we were able to go in and do an extreme makeover, 
to the folks that were there, they said, someone cared and hope is here and the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached and their people have been saved and discipled. Can someone say praise God? Yeah. Sometimes we have to be willing to set aside to go the extra mile, but never is there room in our heart for prejudice in our heart or in the kingdom of God. How many understand that? The cross of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, does away with all color boundaries in God's eyes. We're all made in the image of God. Praise God. Amen. Yes. The third thing was that he offered to her living water. And he said, you'll never thirst again. This woman had been thirsty her entire life. Thirsty for meaning or fulfillment. I don't know her background. I don't know her background. I don't know. All I know that she was considered the village tramp. But I, I know this. There's no, there's no 10-year-old girl that wakes up and says, my goal in life is to be the village tramp. Something had happened in her life the security that she wanted in a man was not there. And whatever it was, I don't know the situation, but she had gone, not gone through. She, she, a woman didn't do the divorcing in those days. How many understand that? They were discarded by the men. Five of them. And now she's with another guy that she was used goods. That weighs on a person's heart and soul. No one wants me, but maybe I'll find love and acceptance in another one's arms, hoping beyond all hope that this time it would be different. And so when Jesus offered to her living water, she said, what do you mean? How could that ever be? See. And he talked with her about her life and he told her everything about her, not in a condemning way. But he said, if you believe in me, if you believe in me. And because of that, she became a contagious follower of Jesus Christ. Something happened in her life. In fact, the Bible said she left her water pot there. It was full. And she went back to her village. And the woman of shame now is telling the same itty-bitties, you've got to come see this man. And he talked with her that he was the Messiah, and you're speaking to me, you know. And she went back, and she was so compelling that they came, and they heard the words of Jesus. And when they heard the words of Jesus, they too believed in him. Could someone say praise God? Yes. Praise God. But God calls us, God calls us to be his faithful witness, to be willing to bridge a cultural divide, whatever that means. I don't know what that means for you. I know, I know what it means for some of us, but I don't know what it means for all of us because prejudice has a way of putting its roots down in our heart and wrapping around our spiritual aorta and choking it out. It's cholesterol. It's blockages of the arteries, spiritual arteries. 
But when we are willing to lay that aside, God can do something. And I, I feel, I felt led to say this this morning, not only is Jesus Christ the living water for salvation, he's the living water today for all of us. If you're weary and you're worn, he is the living water. He's the one that comes. The Bible says that Isaiah said, referring to what happened in Exodus 17, that the Lord provided water from the rock for his children when they're in the desert in a dry place. He made water flow out of the rock. And that's what he does to come. And, and Jesus said, if you believe in me, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And there's another place where he was taught, I believe it's Numbers chapter 21, when the people were in the wilderness and they camped down and, they, and God had a place for them, and he said, there, you'll find a spring there. And they said, spring up, O well, within my soul. And God has springs of living water for us. Praise his name. Now, but he went on to say our purpose, John 4, 34 to 38, the disciples came back. They said, Master, it's time to eat. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And do not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Being a faithful witness makes a difference in others, but it makes a difference in us. The first thing Jesus said is, look, look up, see, there's a sense of urgency. That's in your urgency. The harvest is white. Matthew 9, he said it's so white. Pray the Lord will send out workers. You are the answer to someone's prayers. You are the answer. To so someone's been praying. Every one of you are here because someone prayed for you and there was, a, there was one or more faithful witnesses. How many understand that? Yes. yes. Someone was praying. They prayed through, they believed God's hand was on your life, regardless of what you were doing. The first service, Kirk and Laura, what now? They're, they're now um, older members of grace, but I love Kirk. He loves God's word. I love, they're like yin and yang together, if you know Kirk and Laura. I mean, he's this crusty guy, you know, and loves God's word, and Laura loves God's word, but she, she loves what the Holy Spirit's done in her. She has this testimony and just, you know, it was just wonderful. And, and she's recently retired. And so this morning at prayer, we pray uh, for about a half hour before service. We just pray God will work and move and have his way. And she said, Kirk said, you know, you know, Pastor Paul, he said, that's true. Uh, he said, you, you, just don't, you just don't know uh, how important a witness is and how long it'll take. He said, Laura and I, we went bowling with some friends and they witnessed us about Jesus. And he said, I got so mad, I could see him right now. You know, 
He said, I said to Laura, we got in the car, we'll never go out with them again. You know that finger point, like we'll never, like you're a conductor, we'll never go out with them again. He said, 10 years later, they came to faith in Jesus Christ. They did. And he said, we would not go out with them. And they met each other at a, at a GLOW conference. Some of you remember the GLOW conference. And they come up and said, You're, you, when did you get saved? And come to find out they'd been praying for him and her that entire time. See, God is at work. All right. God is at work. He's there for us. But he said, be urgent. Our purpose becomes our fulfillment is our food and strength. Jesus said, my will is my strength and my food is to do the will of the Father and to accomplish his purpose. When we are his faithful witnesses, there's a fulfillment that becomes our food and our strength. It determines what we see is the next thing. He said, Look up, lift up your eyes and see. The fields are white for harvest. Listen, those people that are mowing your lawn, those people that might look differently than you and they speak differently than you. They might have different tats on than you have. They might say different things than what you have. And you might be lily white and there's not a mark on your body. But you cannot tell what's in the heart of man by looking at the outside. How many understand that? God looks on the heart. He sees people. We were down yesterday for Pastor Scott's Bailey's institution, installation services, the new rector of All Saints Church, a charismatic Anglican church of North America. They broke away from the Episcopalians a few years ago over the, over the inerrancy of God's word and things like that. And, and I tell you, we walked into this place and Scott and Tammy are so happy and and there's scripture all over, and you just felt the sincere worship. I mean, it was absolutely wonderful, and how warm. And Scott said to me, Paul, he said, this reminds me of an Anglican Grace congregation. That's, he said, it has the same type of feeling to it. But we stopped at McDonald's. We, we stopped at McDonald's. I, I just want to say this. People start looking down their noses at people of different colors. There were 18 workers in McDonald's. Man, they're wiping your tables, they're cleaning the restrooms, and the service was that fast. I just want to say something. There was not a white employee in that place. Hispanic and African American. I've never been at a McDonald's that treated us so well. Can someone say amen? Yeah, and if you resent that, I'm sorry, just look down in your heart, something's not right there. All right? And uh, Scott said, and I looked around, and they're just like, here's an, uh, just so many, uh, there were, you know, different cultures. And I thought, that's the kingdom of God. So, but it determines what we see. That person that mows your lawn, they need Jesus Christ if they don't know him. Yes. They're not, just not all sweated up and stinky. So people that mow our lawn, they're working 12 and 14 hours. The one guy came the other night, and he was mowing in the dark. Right? They had to come back the next day and get it right. But you know what I'm saying? They work hard like dogs. And they matter to God. But it's also that there's guaranteed fruit. Jesus said, 
I, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and if you've not entered into their labor, we work with what God is already doing. God's already at work. It just doesn't depend upon you, but we have a part in it. Be faithful as the witness. You might have heard the story, that, the, the account of, uh, of Wayne Fennell. It was in our first church. There's only about 50 people, and the sanctuary was maybe as big as our lobby. It wasn't very big. It was 24 by 32. I mean, it wasn't very big. And uh, 50 people was a lot in it. And his wife, Ruthie, had come, and she was faithful. She loved God and worked in the church. She brought her own kids and brought her grandkids. Wayne wouldn't come. Worked in a steel mill and was self-educated. Um, all of a sudden one day he showed up in church and uh, I, I said well alright so man I'm, I'm preaching as good as I can and I'm giving altar calls and that was a tough place every time I gave I expected Wayne to come to the Lord no, didn't budge five weeks of this and there's only, everyone in the church knew where they stood, and he knew where he stood. There's no secrets. How many know that? There's no, in a church of hundreds, you can have secrets. You can't have any secrets when there's 50. I'm just, that's just the way it is. Everyone knows everybody. They not only know who, what your family is, they know who your mother was and your cousins. They know everything about you, and everyone knew Wayne. And I preach, I give that altar call, and I was waiting, and he'd never come. The last day he came into the church, and I preached like, it's not going to happen again. I'm an old man of faith, you know. And so I finally, out of obligation, I gave an altar call, and I knew it wouldn't happen again. And all of a sudden, Wayne, tall Wayne, came from the back of the church. He came down to the altar. It was a dramatic salvation he encountered the living water of Jesus Christ. And I'll never forget what happened in his life. And he just stood there. He wasn't an emotional man and tears are coming down. He said, oh God, forgive me for my heart towards you for all these years. A spiritual transaction took place. Later on, Wayne would grow in the Lord and he'd become a leader in the church. He served on the board. I went on mission trips with him and and I mean, had a strong witness for Jesus Christ. But the point of all this is that there's guaranteed fruit because we work with what God is already doing. He didn't come to the altar because I preached my best sermon. I did not. He did not come to the altar because I knew in faith he's going to come. I did not have any faith. But someone had prayed for him. They had been faithful. And God was already at work. There had been other people in his life. And so the Lord says, I just ask you to enter into the labor. And then it rekindles our first love for God. That first love, spiritual growth and confidence and passion are ignited. That first love so that we forget the water pot. We forget the water pot. And we go back to the city and we tell someone, I want to, 
wrap up with this. There, there are benefits, but there are also costs to it. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Do not worry then, Jesus said, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's a cost to it. The first is be willing to invest in eternal things, not just temporal things. I'm convinced the reason that most of us do not practice faithful, being a faithful witness, is because Jesus, what Jesus described in Matthew 6, we're concerned and weighed down with all the cares of this life. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to go? Who's going to approve of us? Jesus said, food and water is already provided. Your heavenly Father sees. I'm convinced we get, carried, we get weighed down with the cares of this life and we're spending our energy on things that are temporal rather than eternal. I'm just being as straight with you as I can. And then also because we're afraid. We're afraid. Afraid to take a risk. The second thing is because of risk and rewards. Someone might make fun of us. Someone might reject us. We were talking about this in staff. Amber Hackett said, she said, you know, uh, we decided as a youth group we were going to go witnessing in the mall. How many have ever been in one of those things? How many have ever done any public witnessing like that? You know, man, I remember. I don't know how fruitful it was. I don't know. I'm just thankful that we entered into his harvest. I mean, when I was a kid, we were going to Tipper's a go-go. How many remember white go-go boots and mini dresses? I mean that. And they're like, they're going, they're going like this. And we're coming in there, this little church group, you know, these teenage boys. Like, we're seeing things we have. And we'd basically hand them a track and run, you know, like we're... 13 years old, and these girls are 17 and 18 years old, and I, I don't know, I don't know, you know, I, no one ever threw us out or threw a track at us, but she said she's, so she picked out a teenage girl about her age, and she's witnessing to her, and the girl couldn't hear anything. She was deaf, and Amber tried to show her the love of Christ, and she was deaf, and so Amber just said, okay, you know. And the girl walked away, and here she was pretending to be deaf. She was making fun of Amber. Now, what would that do to you? Amber said, you know what? If that's as bad as it gets, that's all right. I can handle that. Thank goodness, because most Sundays, Carrie Ann DeCarlos here, that Amber worked with, and because of her testimony and a lot of your faithful witnessing, Carrie Ann placed her faith in Jesus Christ. She was baptized in water. Her children were in church with her. And she's a member of Grace Assembly of God today. Because she didn't let the risk outweigh the benefits of this, what God is already doing. And then it rekindles our, it, it having a willingness to be stretched to grow. You all know I don't like hothouse tomatoes. Our grandsons, 
birthday was Friday night. He wanted us to grill hamburgers, so I'm, a, I'm elected. And so my daughter bought the juiciest red tomato that you could ever think of. I said, where did you get that tomato in the 1st of May? I mean, my. I, I said, that really looks good. She cut that thing open. It was as dry as a talcum powder and grainy. I wouldn't eat it, and no one else would eat it either. I'm waiting for July. How about you for the tomatoes? You know what the difference between hothouse tomatoes is and tomatoes that are homegrown? Hothouse tomatoes have perfect conditions. Everything, the right amount of light, the right amount of moisture, the right, right, of, right amount of everything, minerals. But you stick a tomato plant in your garden, it's going to get to be 105 one of these days here. In, in How many know that? There's going to be times it's cool, it's rainy, then there's drought season. But after about 60 to 75 days, you're going to find the juiciest, plumpy, plumpest tomatoes that you would ever want. And you know why? It's because they're subjected to the extremes of temperature. It brings out the flavor in these things. You can't do that in a hothouse. Sometimes as Christians, we only want God as a hothouse tomato. Only when it suits me. Only when it's perfect. Only when the margins are so big, I never have to take a risk. Friends, God wants us to know Jesus invites us to the harvest. But the harvest sometimes means long hours and sweatiness and all those other things. But the payoffs of that harvest and how he will grow you because we have been a faithful witness have no comparison. No comparison to, to when we insist on directing our own life. When we step into that harvest, the springs of living water, you'll find they will nourish your heart. Can someone say amen? They will, you'll never thirst again. That's what he gives to us. The promise is, Isaiah 41.10, The Lord said, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Praise his name. Praise God. Amen. The challenge is that we go into all the world being his faithful witness. Because people matter to God. They will receive living water and eternal life and will receive our own springs of living water and the blessings of obedience that come through that. Praise God. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want to pray for you. First of all, if, if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you would say, you'd say, Pastor, I need, I want, I'm thirsty for the for the living water, the springs of living water, the wells of water to be moved and quickened inside of me. Again, I need that. I'm worn, I'm weary, I'm tired, just like Jesus sat down by that well. If that's you, just lift your hand today and say, Lord, I just need, I need another drink from you, yes. And then secondly, today, if you want to receive the living water of Jesus Christ so that you will never thirst again, you can do that by placing your faith in him, crossing the line of faith and 
placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he said, if you believe on me, out of your belly or innermost being will flow springs of living water. If that's you, just lift your hand so I can see it. We won't embarrass you, but just lift it up wherever you are. Yes, yes. Brothers this morning, yes. All right. Father, in Jesus' name, you see every hand, every heart that's here. In our hearts, we believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. We make confession with our mouth. Your word tells us that when we say, Lord, I believe, I confess, I ask you to come into my heart, you have said, you have said that we will be saved. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.